Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from three thrilling countries in Europe. I'm joined here today by Audrey. Hello everyone! And Cara. Hello! And I'm your host, Ven. That's me. Hi. Uh, and today we're going to be grabbing our dice and chucking our pens as we delve into the world of roll and rights. But before we get onto that, how have things been with you, Kara? I heard you've had some noisy experiences recently. Oh, oh yeah. It's uh, well, it's carnival currently. So um, to give a short overview, in Germany there are two types of carnival. Like first, there's the one that's also in Brazil and stuff, you know, people dressing up in parties and, and whatnot, you know, that's like what we have around Cologne. And then where I live, we have the so-called Alemannische Fastnacht, um, which is way more rooted in, I don't know, olden times. And the costumes are not what you would expect from a classical carnival, um, but like really more um, ugly witches and demons and just weird things. And um, part of all this stuff is noise. For example, there are costumes that just are covered in bells. So if they walk along the street, it's just really loud just because they are walking. And yesterday, like once per hour uh, a group with steel drums just marched past and they just rhythmically drummed and that's part of it and so it's it's really difficult for me to sleep at the moment but um, it's getting better so after four days um, it's starting to quiet down again Um, yeah apart from that I um, Got around to uh, meet my board gaming group from pre-pandemic times last week. Um, we spent a lot of time just catching up and played a round of Cryptic, which I found really interesting um, and really stressful because it's one of those games where I'm just totally afraid that I do something wrong and ruin it for everyone. But um, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, um, I bought Cryptic with the intention of reviewing it um, and then discovered within two plays that you can deduce the answer from the board setup, uh, which is not not great. Um, you can, yeah, there's enough information to know it and know it for certain within two or three moves, um, varying the number of players. So I was like, I can't really review this now because it's such a sweet idea. It's such fun. But once, as soon as that, I saw that, I kind of, the veil fell away and I was like, oh no. I love the concept and I love the idea, but they just needed more variables to make it more complex. Anyway, so what about you, Audrey? Let's say that on the board game front, uh, not a lot has happened lately. Uh, a bit of painting, uh, but mostly video games, uh, because I bought well, I bought, uh, one that I bought a while ago was released, and the other one I saw was coming just the day before it released, and I bought as well. So lots of the new Guild Wars 2 expansions and uh, my first uh, Souls-like game. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm playing quite a lot of Elden Ring and 
for my first entry in the Souls-like uh, genre, I think it's pretty cool as I can go somewhere else if I'm blocked at some place. But these are not really board games. However, I ended up buying the... I know some people are going to say, but it's not really a game, but a puzzle solver, but that's another problem, the Gloomhaven um, video game. Uh, because uh, I saw that there was going to be the DLC for Jaws of the Lion, and I thought that would be good to have it for when the uh, Jaws of the Lion releases on it. And yeah, it does save a lot of setup time, <laughs> weirdly enough. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's kind of an improvement over the experience, to be honest. Like, uh, initial Gloomhaven for us was horrible until I got the laser ox uh, inlay to, to sort it all out. So just pull things, just pull a few boxes out, and that sped it all up. But then we started playing on the computer, and it was like, oh, okay, this is this is even easier now. Um, I, I don't have to spend my time micromanaging the monsters so I can actually think about what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And also, yeah, I don't have to... Oh, I, I, I don't keep forgetting which elements turn down when. Oh, it does it on itself. Oh, I can't forget to use an element to upgrade my spell because there is a box that I can tick or it keeps reminding me that I have items to use. Yeah, it's really great for all the, the micromanagement and stuff like that. So even though it's a purchase on top of another one, since I already have a board game and an inlay, I don't regret it. I probably should have waited for a discount, however. Yeah, I'm kind of terrible for, um, I'll get the game and set the game up and then run the PC and let the PC do all the bits and just physically move stuff around on the board. So uh, that way I get to play the board game still, uh, but I don't have to handle any of the upkeep. I just look and go match the state on the screen with here and take my time. Yeah. However, there is a corridor in the kitchen between the board game room and uh, the PC room, so I can't really do that since it's not a laptop. <laughs> be a bit of a sprint back and forth each time. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it would ideal. be annoying. Yeah, no, I can just stream it through Steam. I actually did the running around thing a, a while while playing Midara because um, the Forteller app um, version of uh, Midara's story can't be downloaded and in my gaming room I don't have um, a secure like the connection is lost all the time so every time I had to read story I went into my living room to listen to the story and then went back so <laughs> well in the case of Midara that sit down for five ten minutes and listen each time like oh boy some of those are really long yes why use two words when you can use 20? Um, yeah, that's a bit all for me. Uh, and you, Fen, what have you been up to recently? Well, um, my partner and I also got Elden Ring, and um, I'm going to keep it fairly short and simple. I prefer Bloodborne, and I'm giving Elden Ring a 6 out of 10. I'm going to keep playing it, but I... I don't, I'm not seeing what so many other people are raving about. They're going, oh, it's, it feels like a really real world. And I'm like, no, it feels like an environment that's quite pretty, filled with hostile attacking sticks. It doesn't feel like a world. It just feels like a Souls game where they spread everything out. I, I did say at some point to Alexis that I felt that the world was empty and life. It is. And he said, no, there are lots of stuff to do. Yes it's always no. interesting that they do this empty, lifeless kind of weird thing anyway. Um, I'm sure I'll come to appreciate it more when 
the inevitable lore videos come out on YouTube and there's probably going to be hundreds of them like there is for Dark Souls. But it's just a bit odd to be like, I'm riding down the road, minding my own business. There's these two obviously peasant guys. Oh, wait, they look kind of like corrupted the undead things. Oh, now they're attacking me. I'm not really interested in this. Why couldn't they just be going from A to B? And I'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. There's just, it's war camps, aggressive people and monsters everywhere. And I'm sure there's a law reason for the world being like that. But I don't know, I'd have liked some moments of maybe some people in a camp cooking food or something. There's a few places where there's some odd stuff going on. Definitely later on. Um, I, I've basically ridden all around the map now. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think I wish Bloodborne was on PC. I'd have preferred playing that more. And I'm very unhappy with I, I didn't expect anything different but I'm very unhappy with the way they implement co-op in the Soul series especially they had a chance to break the mould here with a format more better designed for a group of people to just ride around together and it's not really like that, it's the same as before summon someone, they stick around until you kill a boss and they don't really progress their map at all so my partner and I have just spent our time like leapfrogging. So we'll do a section and then we'll go back and do it again. So yeah. Um, I also, uh, in preparation for returning to our Call of Cthulhu Complete Masks of Naliatep, which we're two, three weeks away from now, um, my partner and I sat down to watch uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the Kevin uh, Kenneth Branner um, version, and. IMDb has it at a 6.5 out of 10, and I'm like, I don't understand why it's got a sub 7 out of 10. It's It was fantastic, really enjoyable, great look to everything, an interesting take on the story. The story, of course, is a classic, um, one that many other murder stories borrow from in the future. Uh, and and I, I loved it. It's stuffed with really great actors and actresses, fantastic performances all around, and it even holds up on a rewatch. So I, I would recommend it. I think as a period piece, as a um, Poirot story, it's great. And I can't wait to watch Death on the Nile, which is out now in the cinema. So, yeah, that's that's more what I've been uh, what I've been doing in respect to interesting things. And whoops. And also playing board games. Which we're yeah. going to be talking about. So let's take it on to our main subject, which is Roland Wright's. Um, and this is, I'd say Roland Wright's start with Yahtzee. Um, but then there's a big long gap until we ever see another one. And the first of the modern ones I encountered was Roll Through the Ages. And the concept is you roll some dice or flip some cards and then you write in boxes, cover, color them in, or maybe you draw on a map or some other kind of things. And everybody it sits and does their own sort of individual board almost with a pad in the middle, all the little tracks. And the only shared stuff is the dice, except sometimes you don't share the dice or the cards either. Sometimes you draft them like in Fleet, which we talked about in the previous episode. So I won't touch onto it too heavily. Um, you draft the dice, so everybody shares one dice, but everyone also gets their own individual dice as well. Die. Um, yeah, so that's that was my first problem with this. I was like, I've played a bunch of different ones, and 
Sometimes I'm drawing maps. Sometimes I'm drawing trails through maps. Sometimes I'm coloring in pips on a sheet. Sometimes I'm drawing polyominoes. Um, and in one case, redesigning the neighborhood, which I actually really enjoyed that one. But before we get on into the main meat of it and what you guys think and everything, I'm just going to say I am excluding Roman role, at least from my discussion. I got it. It's a roll and write, but it feels so much like a roll and write hybrid Euro game because uh, it's got resources and it's got a shared board that everyone's drawing on. And I was like, I can't, if we're going to talk about a bunch of different roll and writes, I can't talk about this one because it would take like 20, 30 minutes all by itself because it's, it's really heavyweight. I have to say, as I have just one uh, roll and write, I am fully trusting you on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Roman roll. Hang on. I, I did look up the what Borg and Geek has it rated under weighting, and I thought, yeah, that seems all right. Yeah, a 3.36 out of 5, when typically this genre is between a 1 or a 2 on complexity. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it heavy roll and write. Um, so, well, uh, who wants to go first with uh, a little bit of a breakdown of one of the roll and writes? Shall I? I will. Yeah, okay. go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with um, Trails to Tucana, which I got to play for the... F I've had it for a couple of months, and I got to play it for the first time a few days ago. Now, this is one of these ones where there's a shared randomness in the middle, uh, and then individual maps everyone's drawing on, which means... I like it because you can go to YouTube or a streaming and you can watch a video of other people playing and you can play along because you don't ever need to be drawing or rolling dice yourself. You're just doing what's on the results, which makes it quite nice. You know, they may have solo rules, but it's something it feels really good to just sit down with the TV on and actually have the TV relevant to what you're playing. Of course, you can't keep replaying the same video. So in Trails of Tucana, you've got um, a little hexagonal designed island filled with tourist attractions and a bunch of villages on the outside. And you're simply looking to flip two cards in a turn and they'll shoot you two different terrain types and you have to draw a line connecting two of those on the map anywhere. Um, so there's water, there's desert, there's forests, mountains, and there's wild. The interesting wrinkle is first of all, you don't ever have to continuously connect your lines, but you want to. And then the second interesting one is there's not equal weighting to all of the terrain types in the deck. And the car, the, the map you have reminds you in the side, the makeup of the cards. So there's like eight sand cards and only four water cards. So you've got this interesting thing of, even if you're not able to track every single card that's been played through the game already, you at least can be like, okay, there's not much water. There's a maximum of six water cards. And I'm going to pass through the deck three times. So 18 water cards, maybe. But there's also one card left over on each pass through. So there's a little bit of interference there. You basically score points by connecting villages to um, sites. They've got obelisks, toucans, uh, a sea monster, well, a lake monster. Uh, a book, so a nice place to sit in the shade and um, 
read, I guess. And my, one of my favourite things, which is a cat-headed yeti, which is just adorable. It's really cute. Um, there's a, a set of objectives in the middle for everyone, where the first person to connect, like village A to village A, there'd be two A's on the map, usually quite a distance apart, will score some points. Same with B, C, and D. Um, and there's a few other places where you can score, like, and so on. The real crunchy bit is age. The first time you connect to a site, you just get points. And the second time you connect, you get points. And you also get a bonus path that you can ignore the normal rules of like types. And it's just wild to wild. So that's super useful. Um, and it's a three-round structure. Your orange section, which is your like tourist attractions, scores each at the end of each round. Your village-to-village -village connections only score at the end, as do your bonus points. And you just see who scores the highest. They say it plays one to eight players, but this is like Railroad Inc. In that I think you could play it with like 100 people if you wanted to. It doesn't really matter how many people are playing, because you never... You're racing people for these center objectives of the bonus ones. But otherwise, there's yeah, all the points are kind of very independent and very much your own thing. At the end of it, you have a nice little map, which hopefully connects up a bunch of villages and uh, sites and everything, and you've built a tourist trap. So there's two sides to it. There's a small side, which is like simpler to learn and easier to connect everything. And then there's the Grande side, which I think is where you play with the three passes. I, I've played this exclusively on the Grande. So yeah, that's Trails to Tucana. Which is a flip and write, really. Yeah, it's simple. It reminds me in some ways of, I think it's like in the same family as Railroad Inc. Which I suppose we should talk about next, because isn't that the elephant in the room, really, when it comes to roll and rights these days? That's the first thing you think of. <laughs> That's why it's going second. Yeah, uh, so Railroad Inc., it's a roll and write from Yalmar Ach and Lorenzo Silva, uh, edited by Yellow. Uh, and I have the uh, Burning Yellow edition. I think it's Jaune Brûlant in French. I'm not sure it's uh, Burning Yellow in uh, English, but that's the Shining Yellow. yellow. Shining Shine, Yellow. Shining Yellow. Thank They've all got, much. like, Pokemon-type titles. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Especially now that Pokemon is going back to colors. Uh, never mind. Uh, so in the box, you have the necessary items to play uh, four players uh, with the four boards. Everything is dry erase. It's not uh, paper... Uh, uh, ah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a glossy cardboard sheet that you draw on with dry erase markers. Yeah, exactly. So you exactly, don't have exactly. the pad issue, which we'll talk about. Yeah, paper on. pad. Thank you very much. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, and uh, these are grids of uh, two, four, six, seven by seven. And uh, every two in V7, so the second, the um, fourth, and the sixth. Uh, square you have a road or a railroad that is starting on each side so it alternates blank square road blank uh, railroad blank uh, road blank and etc etc it goes around and you will uh, use the dice to draw um, the railroads and the roads on the map uh, of course uh, you, if the uh, different uh, buttons that you roll, you prefer to mirror them, you can, that's uh, 
very interesting thing. And um, when a road or a railroad comes across uh, three different logos on the map, you have what I would call a cascade effects uh, that can play into part, depending on if it's a house, if it's a university, or if it's a factory, you get different effects that can let you actually uh, draw more stuff or score points uh, depending on which one uh, you activate. Yeah, so these were new to the challenge edition. They're not in blue or red, okay. although they've been retroactively added to blue and red um, in the app version. Okay, I, I didn't know that. So I, I, you're making me very happy that I picked yellow. <laughs> and you have objectives. Uh, which will uh, say, for instance, build uh, a road that is six different uh, portions, and the first one to score this uh, will get four points, and the second one will get two points, and the third one will get one point. And if you are a four-player game, the fourth one doesn't get anything. Uh, and these kind of uh, objectives are shared. You have a few ones in the base game, but it's two, four, six, and you will only use three each game, and the two expansions, which are included in the box, bring three new ones each. Um, yep, yeah, and green has a different set as well, if I remember correctly. Yep, and different dice, because you have to use the cacti. Yeah, different expansion dice. We'll talk about the expansions for sure. Yeah, I, I didn't dive into the, the expansions uh, yet. Uh, so it's it's a very simple one. You have to remember that, uh, especially when you use the universities, uh, or uh, at some some point, you have a specific patterns which are on your board. Uh, there are six of them, and you can decide to use one of them and put them on your board. And you have to remember that because I th I think that's where the tactical part of the game lies a bit more. It's knowing these. Uh, let's say joker points, and knowing how and when to use them. I think that's the salt uh, of the game. And uh, basically, I mean, that's it. And then at the end, you, you connect, uh, you count how many points you scored depending on how many exits of the board you connected, the longest road, the longest railroad, uh, if you had points at the inside zone of the board, uh, how many houses you went through, how many objectives you points you did, uh, etc. And there are many things to count, so you have to be aware of lots of different uh, mechanics that are at play. So, yeah. Basically, that's the game. I liked the components, even though my issue... I have a small issue with the pens, because they are thick. And yeah. the, the drawings that you want to draw, which are uh, straight lines with uh, little dots inside for the roads, or straight lines with uh, crossed uh, symbols for the railroads, it's very hard to draw them properly with these thick pens. Um, but except I, that they yeah. work well. I've got a non-permanent fine liner pen that I use for these things because yeah the, I like the rubber eraser on the pen but this is one of the things I was going to be saying is if you're doing a roll and write with these reusable boards which is great I, I thoroughly encourage you to use reusable boards or laminated boards not pads because pads are sad um, it, make your pens thinner please like really thin is great yeah and uh, I happened yesterday to ask uh, my husband his opinion on the game exactly, uh, so that I knew about what someone that's less into board games could think about, because his thing actually is more role-playing games. And he said, 
yeah, where is the theme? I don't really feel that in the mechanics, and I actually wonder if it's something that's pretty common in the Roll and Rights, or if it's mostly this one. But I mean, it's true that uh, in the generic idea that you chuck dice and then you do stuff depending on the symbols that you have on the dice, uh, it's difficult to tie really a theme in that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, he is right. The, yeah, 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 the, yeah. He, I think he's right. Sorry, speaking directly to him there. I think I think you're right. Um, I think he's right in that. I, I kind will of tell him, and he will be. Yes. Um, uh, the, the, I find the theme in Railroad Inc. comes in through the expansions, which do seem to have a theme that piles on top of this basic mechanic of roads and um, I always said roads and boats because that's on my shelf. Roads and rails. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is that, but yeah, I don't feel like I'm building a network for a city. I'm just trying to score the points, definitely. He will be happy. Especially since, let's be honest, in Railroad Inc., when you look at the end state of your board, it doesn't look very practical. No, <laughs> no, that you always try to avoid that road driving into the railway that doesn't connect, but eventually, or the road that goes to nowhere, but it, it almost always happens because you don't have much control over from moment to moment. You can just do what you can with the dice you've got. Those plans go out the window, you know. It's it's very chill, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've mentioned a few times that I prefer, uh, generally speaking, uh, games that you play next to each other. And this fits the bill. It feels like you take the concept of the Euro, which people argue is multiplayer solitaire, and then you go right to the distilled end of it, which is literally like, yep, I'm, nothing I'm doing is influencing anything you're doing. But at the end of it, we can look at each other's boards and go, how did you manage that with this stuff? Because I've got garbage here. And competing for the objective. That's yes, it. yep, that's true. The objectives um do indeed add a, a more direct competition. Yeah, but nothing that the others do can prevent you from making an objective. It just uh, has consequences on how many points you will score on that objective. So that's really not a lot. It does seem to be um, a moderately common thing is to have these group objectives that anyone can score, but the people who get there first get a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say one thing I do not like about railroading is the amount of stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we, we've touched it. Yeah, we have the blue, the green, the red and the yellow edition. And um, basically blue is the same as red with an exception. I'm two, two different expansions, yeah. Um, and yellow is the same as green. However, there are also the expansion dice. So each of these editions comes with two expansions. For example, blue has rivers and lakes. Uh, green has uh, woods and trails and so on. So just with these four core games you can buy, you have eight different expansions. And then there are I don't know how many, eight additional Seven. expansions or so? Seven additional expansions, um, some of which contain two separate-ish, maybe, kind of expansions, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah there's, a, there's a lot. And now comes the really frustrating part for me. 
you can't really combine it all because the rules only work for taking a core game and adding one expansion. That's what you're supposed to do. So I'm sitting here with two different core games um, and four expansions and I have to pick one each time I play, which I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna get we're getting towards where I start nitpicking at this because honestly, yeah, I I I hate this Pokemonized thing of do you get lush green or shining yellow? And Audrey, I apologize for saying this, but the answer is always lush green. Shining yellow is the weakest of all of the expansions out of the choices you can get. This doesn't mean it's bad. It's just. I cannot stand the cactuses and what's the other? The canyon. The canyon's okay, but the cactus is kind of awful. But then you go to the blue versus red, and like blue's lakes and um, rivers is amazing. Um, red's volcanoes is okay, and its meteorites is really frustrating. So ultimately, it's, it's sort of just get railroad ink challenge lush green, um, and don't bother with the rest. But then there's, there's good stuff in blue and I've just got this big pile of boxes and they're all, they're lovely, but they, so many of these are duplicated components. There's slight dice difference between the challenges and the normal ones. Um, so I need two sets of dice there, but I got four sets of those dice. And then why, why do I not just get, I don't know, instead of railroad um, ink, deep blue, and blazing red why didn't i get perfect purple which has space inside for all of the dice expansions from both of these and enough like bits and pieces for eight players to play if they wanted to and maybe an extra slot for me to put one of these tiny little expansion boxes in you know because... what would be really nice like if there was like one big box where you could put all the different railroading stuff inside yeah, you you know there is because I was complaining to Alessio this morning about it. I am so they did the collector's box, which also includes a big board for you to play. I think more than one um, expansion at the same time. So I think you can play two expansions on it, uh, and that was a Kickstarter exclusive. So oh, I just no. have to make do with my eleven boxes sitting around on a shelf, looking really ugly. Um, as opposed to one nice box, which they all slot in. I, I just, yeah, I, I, it's release that to the general public, please. And, um, although inevitably, I think they, we're going to see another round of, I don't know, they they still got purple and orange and teal and jade left to do. They, they, they can keep running this. Magenta, yeah. Burgundy. Mm. The imagination of a miniature painter when it comes to color is endless. Yeah, uh, I'm waiting yeah. for Railroad Ink Sword and Shield. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Yeah, yeah, medieval themed, and you're building a castle like you know moats. And... I would love that actually. <laughs> it's it's not bad. What would you have? You'd have castle moats, so you, you roll a castle and you'd want to then draw a moat around it, and then I guess what forests and forest paths, and maybe one of the dice could like throw up a bunch of bandits that you have to put in the forest get points if you surround all the spaces with woods this is how you make a, a, a railroad ink expansion you just spout stuff on a theme and then take the best bits <laughs> i've just that that's you know what that is? that's not sword and shield that's ro railroad ink robin hood 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so as much as I love this game, I have deep, deep frustrations with its footprint and the excessive duplication. Um, none of which occurs in the app. You could just get the app. And they haven't released all the expansions on it yet, but they're gradually rolling them all out. And you could just pull out your phone and or your tablet and just play like that, which is very nice. Interesting thing I just noticed while looking at my two boxes here. The green one has this warning label that it's not um, recommended for kids below the age of three because of small parts. The blue one doesn't have this label. But no small parts. Mm. I guess the the concern is that the, the extra cards that are added could be hazardous to children. Mine doesn't have these warnings. I've got three of them in English and one of them in Swedish. Well, I say Swedish. It's in Nordic. It's got uh, Norwegian, Finland, and Denmark and Sweden on it. Uh, what's written on mine? Uh, yeah, not suitable for children under three. Oh, if you want to play it with kids under three years, get a blue one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the blue one's child-friendly. Well, I mean, everybody famously knows bodies of water are very child-friendly. Uh, yeah, what could go I can on? I, I, I can say that because where I grew up, there's a place called uh, Cosmeston and it had lakes. And as a very small child, I fell in. Um, and my father had to jump in and rescue me. I think it was in winter time, so it was not very good. I was fine. My father was ill for uh, two weeks from whatever was in the water that got him. So I don't remember any of it, but there we are. I nearly drowned. So if obviously if I'd had a copy of Railroad Inc. Deep Blue, maybe I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I'd rather have you here than having a copy of Blue. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, your bribe is in the post. Where? Yeah. Uh, I wish I could talk about the expansions, like all the small box ones, but there's seven of them and I can't remember any of them particularly well, except the underground one has you playing on two boards simultaneously as you build the normal network above and you build sewage pipes and the underground on the underside and you get extra points for, you have to line them up or bit like undergrounds beneath stations. And it's a bit of a, yeah, it takes you a bit to get your head around. It's an interesting one for mixing stuff up, though, which is pretty cool. And I've heard good things about the Eldritch one. But I'm sometimes a bit tired of Cthulhu being shoved into everything. So I haven't played it yet. As much as I, I which is a bit hypocritical, I realise. I was talking about Cthulhu near the start and how excited I am to get back to it. But I don't know, I just don't need everything to be Cthulhu-themed. As I don't really Cthulhu. like Tulu, uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't need to shove it everywhere. Yeah, uh, I think you draw tentacles on the map. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you need a sharp and purple pen. <laughs> yeah, here we are. I could just briefly have a look. at. Yeah, you've got rituals for opening new portals uh, to create a madness network and then portals to connect distant areas of your network, which I like the idea of that. You have a little portal to join your railroad round to another place. Uh, and then tentacles, which just expand across everything, and an investigator who solves clues. Um, if I remember correctly, actually, Tom from Shut Up and Sit Down said he really liked this expansion, so maybe I need to go back and report on it in a future episode. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I'm just always a bit ugh when anything's got tentacles involved that isn't a squid or an octopus. 
in nature. I'm cool with it. With your cosmic horrors, not so much. Uh, yeah, well, I, let's, um, as we're on drawing networks, uh, I'm going to stick with the drawing and I'm going to quickly talk to you about Copenhagen Roll and Write, which it's a two to four player, 30 minute job. Um, it manages to combine drawing on a map and filling in tracks. Uh, and it is based on the full game Copenhagen, which I've not played. Uh, you're basically building a facade for a building. Um, so you'll roll five colored dice. Uh, they have purple, red, green, blue, yellow sides, and a wild side, which is white. Uh, and on your turn, you will pick one color to draw a shape of. Um, the shapes, the colors have slight variations in how the shapes work. So the purple and the green ones give you straights if you have three. And the yellow one and red and blue give you an L. And then there's, uh, if you roll four or five of the same color, you can access these bigger special Tetrisy looking shapes. Um, but only one person in the entire game can take each one. They get crossed off and not available for anyone else, which is an interesting little bit of that racing mechanic. Uh, the other rule is you have to put your pieces in onto your grid at the bottom and then build upwards as if they were dropping in from the top like Tetris. Um, it's Yeah, it's it's mechanically interesting, it's thematically stupid. Um, but this is a very abstracted game, so that's fine. You also, whenever you draw a shape, you have to, one of the squares has to have an X in it, and the X is bad because you score more points for each row and column you complete with no Xs in them. But you're always having to draw Xs unless you use special powers to avoid that. So it's got this interesting position where you're like, oh, once you put an X into a given column, you're like, that's my dump column. That's where all the Xs go. Get out of here over there and then suddenly you roll a situation where you can't put one in there so you're kind of like do i have any special powers that can help um the game ends when somebody gets to 12 points and then everyone gets like one last turn to um even out the number of turns everyone's had and higher score wins it's it's better than i expected um like i picked it up cheap because uh, i wanted to get copenhagen because i i kind of love facades on buildings I really like how they look, especially like metal facades. So I was like, oh, this is a chance for me to try out Copenhagen and um, give it a go in the city that nearly killed me. Another story when I was a child, I was playing by the Little Mermaid in a park and they had um, tree stumps that you jump from one to the other from. And I was a very clumsy child, so I fell and hit a tree, chump right, tree stump right on the point where it had been cut, like the edge. Um, and they hadn't rounded these edges off because why would they? This is a children's play park. Why would you have rounded, you no know, straight, sharp edge? And I split all of my left eyebrow right across um, and gave myself a major concussion as well. Uh, all I can remember from the entire thing is my mum being in hysterics about how the holiday was like she didn't come to Copenhagen to have one of her children get injured uh, and like me having blood streaming down my head, which is not the only time I've been in that situation. I had a lot of head injuries as a child. Uh, a lot. Yeah, my sister had the same kind fell and I bumped the, um, uh, around the eyebrow on the corner of the coffee table. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Once I hit puberty, um, all of my balance issues disappeared. So it must have been some developmental issue with my inner ear. Uh, you know, to the point that I went on to do Kung Fu and 
I was very good until health issues stopped me being able to do it. So I don't know what happened, but I stopped falling over sometime around age 14, 15. Anyway, Copenhagen, uh, kind of fun. Um, the tracks that you have, the interesting thing is when someone rolls the dice on their turn, they leave a few dice behind and the other people get to pick one of the colors that's left and fill in an X on a track. And as these tracks increase, there's one for each of the colors. They'll give you access to either a bonus tile of that color when you place, or you can sometimes get an extra special ability like um, green lets you change one color of dice to a color of your choice. So you can easily reach the fours and fives or um, blue's pretty cool. It lets you just get an extra space that you slot on. Um, oh no, sorry. Uh, purple gives you the extra space that you can slot on. Blue gives you uh, all of your tiles that you place. All of your pieces are zeros, O's. So there's no X for the turn. So you can do cool combo stuff and combining it. So you're always engaged a little bit in other people's turns. Yeah, but that's, what, like... that's what I was going to say. It's much more interactive with other mm -hmm. players than a railroad. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it also really ends quite abruptly because um, somebody just suddenly builds a column and gets four points and that's like a third of the points needed and everyone else is like you better get scrambling you, you've got to make a lot of compromises which is cool you've got to be like okay let's just finish this row that's worth one i'll get a bonus for finishing the row and i can do something with that bonus and i can keep pace with somebody you don't want to be sat very far behind but interestingly just because somebody triggers the end of the game it doesn't mean that uh, they are automatically going to be the winner um so yeah, you suffice have this... it that someone is one point behind and they can score then two more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you get this interesting chicking moment where you're approaching 12 points and you look and you go, I'm just going to stop at 11 and see if I can like squeeze one more round out, um, especially if you're the first player, because you can do that. You can finish as a first player, bang on that 12, and then somebody behind you just shoots past 15 points and you're like, oops, maybe I should have hung fire for a turn more, so... That's Copenhagen. Um, it's nice. It's got a pad. The dice are wooden, which means they're not going to... Well, they're going to wear off eventually, but I think because they're coloured blobs, that's not a big issue. You can, they're slightly recessed paints. You can always fix the paint if it wears out. I wish it had... Um, I wish it had rewritable things. Uh, maybe, you know... Maybe I should actually play Copenhagen the full game. I bet that's got little tiles you fit in place. But yeah, it's a, it's a 7 out of 10 roll and write, I think. Yeah, but not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Far from bad. Who wants to take one next? I don't have any more next! Well, that's okay. <laughs> I'm out! Well, I can I can go next. Um, yeah! Print and play roll and write. Um voyages it was on kickstarter last year and it was a really nice kickstarter because it had one pledge level for i think it was four pounds and it delivered a week after it ended because yeah i i was really impressed with this kickstarter i loved it it's really good yeah and i mean four pounds is like okay yeah i can give it a try that was my thought process um it also comes in a lot of different languages, so that's nice as well. Yeah, but um, that's, that's easier to, done, uh, to do uh, on print and play stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so basically, um, you are in the open sea. There are different islands, and you command a pirate. No, not really a pirate ship. A ship, and um, it's played over. I think sixteen turns. Uh, each turn starts with someone um, rolling three d6. And then every player picks one of these dice as the direction. So there are, it's played on a map with hex fields. So there are always six directions you can travel in. So you pick one die for the direction, one for the um, number of place of um, areas you move. And the third die is used to fill in um, yeah, uh, the duties, it's like a little crosswordy thing where you just um, fill in, um, I'm, I'm totally missing words today, you know, the rectangles which have equal sides. Square. Squares, yes. Yeah, and if you like fill in a row or a the, the other thing from rows, line, line. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is the steel bands, isn't it? This is this is all that noise. Yeah, my, my brain just <laughs> shut off. <laughs> um, so yeah, then you get some bonus, and um, yeah, you travel around this map. You um, collect uh, cargo. You can collect cargo and sell it on islands. Um, there are islands that just give points if you visit them. There is a big uh, sea monster that's just called Dread um, that you can try to defeat. Uh, that gives points. Um, yeah. Um, you do have some um, ways to change the die results for your for yourself. Um, you basically you have sailors, and um, you can like mark one of your sailors to add or subtract one from a dice result. Um, or if they are heroic sailors, um, so around the map there are like these chalices that you can collect to make one of your sailors heroic. And if you scratch off one of those, um, you can treat any die as a wild. Um, yeah. and. Then in the end, you just count points and see who's better at traveling around the ocean. I guess. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, David would win at that game. Are you, you sure? Because I mean, you remember, he's the only person who's been flooded out of the po podcast so far. Yeah, but he's still a pirate. Oh, kinda. Well, yeah. his cat is a pirate. <laughs> you heard it here. We've got an international criminal on our podcast. David is a pirate. <laughs> So anyway, it's um, officially for one to 100 players. Um, I really like it that they basically admit that it doesn't matter how many you are. Um, like we had it with, um, I forgot which game, um, where you can just... Railroad Inc. doesn't matter. Trails to Canada doesn't matter. I was about to go on to Welcome To, and that goes one to 100 as well, yeah. which is nice. Um, because you, you basically just need a way to communicate the die results and then everyone can play for themselves. Um, you can also play it alone 
and um, then there are some changes. Uh, basically, you have to um, reach a certain number of stars, which denotes some special thing you did. And um, then there is a list uh, depending on how many stars and how many points you had at the end, uh, what rank you reached. Yeah, like, are you a master sailor? Or I don't know how it's called in English, but a moose? <laughs> I don't know what the English equivalent of that is. I would just go with you a master sailor or a master beta. Moose is like the, the apprentice that you generally just make scrub the, the floors. So anyway, um, I think it's definitely a game for four pounds. You can pick it up. Um, it's easy to understand. I do feel like... I think there are games I like more. <laughs> Um, I find it really restricting with how you move your ship, even with the um, dime mitigation you get. Um, when I played, I felt like it's pretty easy to get in a position where there's like one or two ways you could move that would make sense for you, but you don't have a way to get these moves um, if the dice aren't in your favor. So bit frustrating yeah so a good buy for four pounds but don't expect that this to be a game that's going to change your world yeah yeah, yeah but then that's... for four pounds mm. yeah it seems very reasonable uh yeah so on a one to a hundred game i'm gonna very quickly dip through welcome to which has a whole bunch um this first one i have is called welcome to your perfect home it's a three-deck flip and write. Um, Wasn't is... there a release of a new Welcome to like two, four weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, it keeps going. There's there's a whole load of different ones. Um, I can only speak to the one where you build a 1950s idyllic white picket fence um, gentrified suburb. But it's pretty interesting. It's another one that's very easy to play remotely or on Zoom or play along with YouTubers. Should we sit down and have a play through of this? which is, um, you know, quite fun. You just play the solo section. It does have slightly varied rules for solo. Uh, so the game ends when someone's built all their houses or all three of the city plans are completed or somebody takes three building permit refusals, which is uh, basically if you can't build any of the houses that have turned up as an option, you get a building permit refusal. So... What happens on a turn is three cards are flipped up from each of the decks. On the left side, on the back of the card has a number, and on the other side has a symbol of some kind. So the number tells you the house number that you are allowed to build in if you pick that one, and then the little symbol adds a modifier. Either it's a, um, like a, it's generally a bonus, but they vary. So the pool lets you build a pool if the building you've chosen for the turn has a pool in the back of it. Pools mean points. Um, there's a white picket fence that lets you build a fence anywhere um, and gated fences, are worth, the gated areas are worth more points as well. Uh, you get a park which just lets you cross off one of the parks because you've built the park. Um, the nice one is the biz which is pink and it lets you duplicate uh, any house, not just the one you're just building but like any of your houses you can just, you make one B which is like fantastic, really useful. Um, there's a purple one which just lets you increase the value of any estate that you've already built, which is like the fenced in areas. 
and then there's one that lets you increase or decrease the house number. It's kind of nice because you everyone's playing with the same numbers and the same like choices, but on different paths because you're picking one of three and maybe other people are picking a slightly different one of three. So it feels a bit more diverse than just, this is what I did with our results. What did you do with the same set of results? It's more like, oh, you chose that and that put you off in that direction and you did this and this and this and I hate my neighborhood. So it's um, it's quite light, quite easy to play. Uh, 25 minutes they have for the time and you can get laminated boards to play with. You can either play with a pad that comes with it or I have the set of the laminated boards um, and I'm really happy with that. So it's... um. I wish I wish I had a chance to play some of the expansions to see whether the theme really matters because the theme just doesn't make any difference here at all. Like, yeah, sure, you've got a house with a pool, but why are you fencing them into estates? That's not really how a, you know, numbers three, four, five, and six, just because they've got white picket fences on either side doesn't really make them a street. So that's um, a bit abstract. Yeah, but uh, it's it's decent and it's good multiplayer, and I'm not going to dwell on it too much because uh, I have two more I want to talk about before we finish. And Kara, you've got at least one more, haven't you? Yeah. Well, maybe so, one. It's... Maybe one more. So, so a decent recommendation for this one. Um, I'm going to then go into a very brief overview of Merchants of Magic, uh, and then we can listen to yours. And I'm going to end with my favorite of the bunch. Um, so Merchants of Magic is set in the Setter Watch universe, which Alessio is very fond of, and Setter Watch is a decent multiplayer, solo, tower defense type game. But Merchants of Magic has nothing to do with that. Instead, you're running a shop, and you're crafting orders and bits and pieces for people, and this is very much in the genre of coloring in pips to get more abilities to get points, with the added interesting twist of fulfilling orders to um, score bonus points. So there will be, you get your sheet, it's split on the left side into crafting, on the right side into research, and the middle table will roll four dice, for everyone gets to look at, and these dice represent um, different levels of crafting, and where you spend them, they represent different materials. So you can spend a red dice, which is a d6, for steel, or wood, or leather, and the Blue dice, which is D12, will only make you elemental, arcane, or wild. So that's like a magical dice. And the two sit, other two sit in between that. So all you do in your turn is you pick one dice to take, and you choose where to do it, and you like cross it off. Um, and if you've achieved all of the given materials for a, a particular thing, you've learned how to make that. So for example, to make a backpack, you just need to get a dice for... Um, leather uh, and the roll needs to be at least a three or higher so you can do that with red purple or the yellow dice that's a d6 a d8 or a d10 and once you crossed it off you get to circle the backpack congratulations you've completed a row and you get a little like bonus um, it's quite abstract and the most interesting and fun thing is when you sit down with everyone who's playing together and you're trying to work out how many turns before particular orders come around to you so you can be like okay well i this chap wants me to make a firing uh sorry a, a fiery ring of the elves so i 
those that will be within my shop order time on this time so can i get these three can i get fiery marked off and ring and of the elves done before it turns up and if so then you just get to whisk it away and you get more points downside of that is sometimes the replacement um, recipes pop into the shop and somebody just happens to have that given like set of modifiers already pre-crafted and they just scoop up the points as soon as it comes near them so for me this one is more interesting as a solo game than played like multiplayer in the solo game you get to see two of the upcoming items and there's three in your shop at any time that you could make and they fall off the leftmost one falls off and gets lost each time so you're always working ahead a little bit and trying to mitigate losing anything else along the way or get it done beforehand so uh it's fine um i i, I can't say it's really good but i do play it a lot so it's it's interesting and i, I especially like the way the dice mechanic works in that uh, you have to pick a particular dice for the material type and it needs to be above a certain number for crafting or below a certain number for research. So you're often looking around to see where you can fit a dice to cross off and make progress towards completing a row. Or even buying like the modifiers at the end of the game, there's a bunch of charms that um, give you like extra bonus if you just concentrate on say armor or weapons or nothing but accessories. So uh, it's pretty sweet. Um, you do have ability to grab extra dice. They you got three for free, and then after that you have to spend potions. You get these potions every time you complete a particular row. So when I've discovered how to craft greaves, which cost me two dice, I would get to circle that and get a potion that I could spend later. So that's Merchants of Madne Madness. Merchants of Magic. Um, Cthulhu creeping in again, I'm afraid. I don't want to play Merchants of Madness, all right? Just don't get any ideas. I'm not asking for it. Merchants of Magic. Um, and it's a fine roll and write. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, now I'm talking about it, I kind of want to go play it again. So I guess that's a recommendation. Not at all like Set a Watch, which is what I was expecting. That's a bit thrown by it. Okay, so we've got two left. Yeah. Take it away. So, um, the next one is, well, it is listed as a roll and write, but just prior to this recording, I was posing a question of, you know, is it really? Um, I'm talking about Crystal Miners. Um, now, most people haven't played the game, which is simply because you can't buy it. Um, so it's also a print-and-play game that was available through the Crafting Artium um, documentary Kickstarter, um, the documentary around about uh, Ryan Laukat. And um, it was like a additional backer reward that everyone got. Um, but I'm sure it will be available at some point um, outside of this one Kickstarter. Um, it is set in the land of Artium, you know, the, the um, land where most of Ryan Laukat's games take place. And um, you lead a mining consortium of sorts and uh, just 
try to get rich. And um, I like getting rich. Capitalism. Yeah. Nothing goes wrong with capitalism. <laughs> so um, it is officially a two to four player game. You can also play it solo, but compared to many other World Ride games, you can't really play it with how many people you want to play because there is uh, some kind of player interaction. And um, especially there is a certain component need. Um, so you need uh, tokens uh, for each player. Um, it is recommended uh, 25 wooden cubes per player. Uh, you need seven dice per player. And uh, you also need uh, coin tokens around 25 to 30 per player. So if you want to play it with like 10 people, you might run out of uh, components, even if you uh, salvage them from all your board games. Um, <clears throat> did I mention it's print and play? It's print and play. So um, you play um, at the same time. So over in the course of eight turns, um, you start by rolling your dice, one die per minor you have. You start with four minors and can unlock up to three additional dice minors. And then you have your, uh, well, mining sheet, I'd call it, um, where you have um, different places where you can put your dice. So I feel like it's more a dice placement game. Um, so for example, you um, can Explore, which gives you uh, coins and uh, <clears throat> reputation, which in turn can give you additional points and victory points in the end. And um, there are two slots for it. One has one pip on it, so you can put any die there, while the other one has six pips on it, so you only can put a die that shows a six on it. Uh, basically, the pips the places show indicate that many or more you need on your die to place it there um, and then you can use coins to unlock additional places like different um, areas where you can mine um, different types of ores um, which in turn can be sold which then leads to the player interaction part because there is one big uh, shared player board um, where there are basically different orders. Yeah? So for each ore type, there are orders ranging from one to five or one to six. And if you, for example, sell three glow moss, you put one of your cubes in the um, in the specific area of this order and after this turn no one else can fulfill this specific order and um, yeah so if you play with many many people chances are it will fill up really fast and uh, you are locked out of most of the things so um, that might not be so fun additionally you can buy upgrades um, which, uh, for example, let you change dice results uh, to a certain degree or um, give you victory points for upgrades you bought. 
um, or let you reroll dice. And you can also find monsters. So on the bottom of your mining sheet, there are, uh, is a list of monsters and from left to right, you can fight them and each monster has like a value. For example, the first one is a spider with three plus. So you can put any number of dice on this monster as long as you reach at least three, uh, you defeat it and get victory points for it. And it goes up to the lava worm, which needs 15 as a result to be defeated. And yeah. So um, yes, you do write on it. You know, you mark different things, you mark uh, areas you've unlocked, etc. But it's not like you roll and then these rolls let you mark things directly, but the rolls are used to do actions, which in turn might lead to you marking things. So. Oh, okay, it reminds me a little bit of, in some ways, Roman roll, because that has a shared board in the middle that everyone draws on. And that's why you can't have lots and lots of players, because there's just not enough shared space in the middle. So it just goes two to four player. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can still play it remotely, because there is no like hidden information or whatnot, and you just need one player with a camera that shows the shared board and everyone has to tell them, yeah, I'm putting a cube in this place and you can do it. But um, yeah, there is definitely a limit to how many people can play it. Um, you can play it solo. I did play it solo. Then um, it's just, you know, try to get as much points as you can. Um, there is no ranking in the end. So it's, you don't get a cool, Master Miner title or anything, but uh, it's still fun. And you do get to name your company though, don't you? Yeah, you get to name your company. That's actually um, at the top left of your mining board. There is a, a field for your player name, for your company name, and a field for the uh, logo of your company where you can draw the logo for it um, for people who can draw. <laughs> So yeah, um, I mean, one thing that stands out for me is of course, Ryan Laukat's artwork. Um, yeah, always, yeah. yeah. The miners have individual um, designs as we know from other games, you know, you have your fish person miner, you have your dragon miner, you can unlock a boar miner and uh, for humans with different skin tones, two female, two male looking. So there is no one with like a, I'm missing the name again, the mustache, yeah. Um, just one with a full beard. So um, people who love mustache characters. Like Poirot. Oh. You got to see Kenneth Branagh's mustache in the Poirot movies. It's incredible. No, very few men can grow a mustache like it. It's it's a thing to behold. There. So to bring it back to what I was talking about at the beginning. Um, but yeah, I, we should I actually put like mustache somewhere in the name of the episode. Oh, the names. It's already. I've named this episode after the man who who's responsible for this genre, Mr. Roland Wright. But we could call it Roland Wright's mustache. That wouldn't make any sense, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I like how 
when you look at the paper, it's like a side cross section cut through of a mine. Like, uh, so you've got little, like a little bucket hanging down on the side and that cute key, it almost looks like a kiwi with a cart. Or at least on the artwork I'm looking at. It's, it's the, the um, pack birds from near and far. It, yes, yeah, it's so cute here. Really love it. And, and it's classic, the classic little huts with the nice symbology. It's, it's beautiful. So yeah, if it ever becomes available, I can personally highly, highly recommend it, assuming you do have the necessary materials lying around in some way. <laughs> yeah, this looks like, um, just like with Voyages, that once enough people get their hands on it, you'll start seeing some fancy homemade boxes and yeah. extravagant editions and things. It looks like it's got a lot of... Um, a good launching platform yeah the, the one that inspired. really impressed me is uh, someone on board game geek um, shared pictures they used the um how's it called uh, the expansion for near and far amber mine amber mine also expansion for near and oh, far yes yes a small box yeah, yeah they used this box and you know just um added the crystal miners title on it and um and it, it fits perfectly <laughs> That, that's really cool. I've got that box still because I didn't want to throw it out. I usually toss my expansion boxes, but that one was like, oh, this is this one's, it's too pretty to throw away. Yeah. Well, that's, now you know cool. what to do with it. Well, yeah, if, if this comes out in more available print and play, which I hope it does, I hope it does, um, yeah, i got a box to keep it in. Um, maybe that could be the official thing, you know? They could launch a line of stickers and you just, like, stick the stickers onto the, onto the Amber Mines box to update it that would be really cool <laughs> it would it would uh okay well i i'm super interested in that one i look forward hopefully to getting to play it one day that i like what i see of this and i do see that not many people have rated it on board game geek so not many people are listed as owning it uh, it's probably as it's a bit exclusive yeah yeah hopefully hopefully it gets more of a wider release which i should imagine it does it, I've, i feel that um uh, red raven games tend to be very good with their consumer practices there doesn't seem to be a, a lot of stuff they do that's you know has that kind of exclusivity yeah i, I i'm confident in general yeah and i mean the the kickstarter where it was available was backed by 1253 people so that's how many assumably have this game so. and as of today recording this how many people have added it to their collection nine people have commented on it <laughs> um and there's a there's a how to get this in the threads uh, 32 people have it listed as owning and 24 people have it wish listed so yeah pretty exclusive yeah and i have it yes well done. Take that one off on the bucket list. Right, uh, so we're going to get to the last one of, uh, of these roll and rights. This one's another flippin' right. Um, this is from Thunderworks Games. It's in the roleplayer universe, which I've talked about roleplayer in the past. And I'll be talking again about it in the future because roleplayer adventures is arriving soon. But this one's called Cartographers. And... I think for me, it does almost everything I want a roll and write to do. I play this several times a week. It helps that there's an app um, that runs really well. Uh, so 
the concept is this you get to start with a pad um, unfortunately pad but I, I'm okay with pad in this case because this is drawing maps and drawing maps is fun and you kind of want to keep them uh, and the pad it's double-sided uh, one side has like just a, a grid um, I think it's 11 by 11 and there's five spots with mountains marked on them uh, the back version has the same but it has like a hole in the world in the middle uh, for a slightly more challenging version of the game it takes place over four seasons you don't know exactly how long the season's going to be because um, each season has a time value assigned to it and the cards as they're drawn from the deck have different amounts of time it represents people going out to explore a region and coming back and saying hey boss i found a forest and you decide where to draw it on the map so i also get the impression this is kind of having a dig at those cartographers of old who used to make like not strictly accurate maps here be dragons only in some cases there actually will be dragons um, so there's also four objectives and in each season only two of them are going to score so the objectives are like just label a b c and d and they come in a variety of different things so in spring you'll be scoring a and b and um, a could be I'm going to skip the cauldrons because I hate that. It could be Stoneside Forest, which is uh, you get three points for each mountain you've connected to another mountain. So you're encouraged to build a pathway using the forest cards to connect them all up, which is neat. Or Shield Gate, where you get uh, points for your second largest village. So you're trying to build two villages and keep them as near to the same side as possible. And there's, there's a whole load of those. Um, including as i just previously mentioned it the cauldrons which requires you to leave empty spaces on your map and fill all of the orthogonal spaces around them which is geographically what they call a cauldron like a little empty space in the middle of some interesting features i hate it i hate it so much it feels bad to draw these empty spaces on your map but uh, or not draw them but you know so be it uh say you, in spring you score A and B, and then in summer you score B and C, in fall you score C and D, and then winter you score A and D. So one part of the interesting things is you're thinking about not only what you want to score on this turn, but also what you want to score in the future. And also, eventually, once you've um, scored uh, spring and summer, you don't care about B anymore. You don't have to worry about it. You can just throw it out of your head and not bother any longer trying to do that and concentrate on the others. There's also uh, a few extra interesting wrinkles in that the cards that you draw tend to have options for you. So they'll either be like the treetop village here is a five piece. It goes um, three, three in a row and then up one and then a two. So it's like an extended, um, I don't know the name of the Tetris shape, but it's like an L with an extra piece at the bottom. And you're allowed to draw that either as a village or as trees, your choice which. Uh, and the Great River has to be a river, but you can either draw a three-piece and you get an extra coin, explain coins in a second, or you can do like a W, which is five. So you, you get options whenever you draw a card, whenever everyone draws a card, as to which one you're putting down. Uh, so, coins? Coins mean points, and coins score every single season, so the earlier you get point, coins, the better. You get coins for surrounding all four sides of a mountain, or for picking the not so good 
car um, tile selections, but sometimes they're really good for you depending on the objectives. So you've got that nice juggle of doing the map, thinking about where do I get coins? Can I surround the mountains? Do I want to put this next to a mountain? No, because I lose points if I put this village by a mountain. So you have to find something else to fit in there. So all of that creates quite a complex puzzle. Um, but it becomes very intuitive because it's all visual. It's all just moving pieces around, drawing them onto a board. The wrinkles come in uh, with the outpost ruins, which is there is six spots on the board that are fixed that have a like ruin symbol, like a couple of pillars. If you draw that card, then you draw the next card. And as long as it's not a monster, you have to draw that feature with one of the squares in the outpost ruins. If you can't, there's a compensation prize. Anytime you can't do something, you can just draw one tile, one square of any terrain type you like anywhere on the board, which is sometimes really good. The other wrinkle are the monster attacks. Uh, each season, a monster card is shuffled in, and if it gets drawn, uh, the other players in either to your left or right will take your sheet, and then they choose a place to draw the monster attack in. And... The monster attack is a purple tile type. It doesn't score you any points. In fact, it's negative points for each empty space adjacent to a monster tile. So now you're having to try to fill them in, which gives you a little bit of, if you like that screwing over other players, bit of interaction is right there. If you don't like it, you can just play with the solo rules. There's very specific rules for how these monster tile cards and spaces can be played um, for solo, and it works just fine in multiplayer. The goblins, for example, try and appear in the bottom right hand corner and if they can't you move up the right hand side and then round clockwise uh, anti-clockwise until you find a space where their three diagonal lines fit so that's th that's like the main core of cartographers there's expansions that add heroes who can obliterate monsters or protect spaces from monsters um, there's a whole bunch of different pads i've got the full deluxe edition so i've got like basic i've got undercity which geographically makes no sense to me you've got a same as before you've got an a, a 11 by 11 map with a line three down from the top so the top three rows are above ground and the both all the rest are below ground um, which suggests an, a z-axis map like in crystal caverns you know a side slice but everything you're drawing is as if you're looking at it from the top. So I can't get my head around geographically what this map is supposed to represent <laughs> at all. It just confuses me. Like, if, effectively, if you bend the pad at the three line, that's what the pad is kind of trying to say it is, is the top three rows are above ground and everything else is beneath them. But it just it doesn't, it doesn't look good. But it is interesting to play with, as you have to use a door to like connect stuff up. There's a uh, one map with a volcano because every roll and write needs a volcano. It gradually spills out and destroys all of your terrain, which can be useful, can be bad. Uh, and there is one map which has a bunch of islands, and that one's great fun. They're like interconnected islands. Um, so yeah, it, it it even includes expansions where you can play with different careers and stuff. It's they've really gone all out. But what it comes down to is it's that joy of sitting down and drawing a map. And you can be as detailed as you like. You can just draw the terrain pieces in in a simple pen as they match, or pencil, they give you loads of pencils, or each terrain type has its own color assigned to it. So you could like color in the squares that are green, 
for trees and red for villagers. Or you can go mad and nuts, like some of the people have gone on Board Game Geek, and bless them, you'd end up drawing what looks like a, you know, a classic fantasy map, all filled in with all the little bits and pieces, a tiny little dragon burning a section of countryside. Uh, it, it's again, if you've got a fine enough pen or a bit, like a duplicate pad that's larger, you've got all that space for that creativity. And I really enjoy it. Or um, could you be like uh, creating tokens that you then put on the spot? You, you probably could. Um, I've seen some people get, uh, get stamps. So they just stamp like it's like I've got a green stamp with a tree on it and they stamp that in all the spaces. Oh, uh, um, some people have built like little cutouts to fit on the various spots. I've seen one who um, made uh, the various on Thingiverse like uh, templates or files for 3D printing the yeah. pieces you can then put in a grid. <laughs> yeah, that, that I've seen that one. It's super cool. Like. It's it's amazing. It's one of those galleries on Board Game Geek I like to go to and just look at. Like, uh, I mean, you know, just just this this one. This is one of the top images. It's just adorable. You know, they filled it all in, drawn proper rivers. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that and that's that's what I I love the little hole next to a mountain. Just that's not a mechanic. It's just filled in. So. For me, this is this is where I want the the visual like drawing kind to be at. I prefer this over um, railroad ink. I don't think I'd ever want to keep a railroad ink map, but stuff like this, I mean, it's gorgeous. Just so I thoroughly recommend that that you listener have a pop onto the cartographer's gallery and just look at the the delightful things people have drawn to to represent these coloured squares. Though there is a downside to it. I mean, when I played with friends, there were these situations where like four people have finished and look at the fifth person who's busy drawing little demons and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe think about um, who you're playing with if you're gonna... Yeah. You're going to be really taking your time to draw the maps. But, but that's what's fun about Solo with this. I mean, especially the, the, the drawing of the um, monsters was a source of a lot of fun because um, everyone drew different kinds of monsters. And then after you got your sheet back, there was always a discussion um, what they drew. And <laughs> um... Yeah, my monster is a bunny. What? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think on this particular sheet, which... Um, uh, I, our listeners will have to try and find in the middle bottom one. I think that's Trogdor the Burninator, and the one on the right has got these really cute little monsters with different coloured faces. That's um, uh, yeah. I think this one is also a pretty good one to play with uh, with um, young, you know uh, teenagers and kids who are old enough to understand the concept. Because I don't know about you, but I certainly drew my fair share of maps when I was younger. I didn't really. I was bad at it. I was mostly re uh, copying uh, Dragon Ball Z and Yu-Gi-Oh characters from my cousin's books. Oh, that's fair enough. Some people draw maps. Some people draw anime characters. <laughs> One thing that and anyone else doesn't count. Go on. That's really confusing for me as a German regarding cartographers. Mm -hmm. um, is actually cartographers heroes because 
like I don't know two three weeks ago I actually um, thought oh yeah this was a, uh, when I played it was a lot of fun so I might actually buy it and I went into the store and I looked what games they had it's it's a bookstore they don't have many games but I just you know like to look if there's something and I saw oh yeah that's that looks like cartographers I took it out and now it's difficult to translate because German is a very gendered language. So we have a word for male cartographers and a word for female cartographers. Right. And the regular cartographers uses the word for the male cartographers. And the box I held in my hand just had the word for the female cartographers. So basically the same title just gendered female. And I looked and at it. And it was pink. And I, I was confused and was like, what um like is it the same one is it just a reskin i i have no idea and i didn't buy it <laughs> and now i saw it's actually cartographer's heroes yeah yeah it's it's the i guess they gendered it because there's a male cartographer on the first game and on heroes there's a female cartographer yeah but um, like i guess it's called heroes why don't they use yeah, that title in german <laughs> Yeah, it's cartographer subtitle heroes, and uh, heroes is the better version of the two. Like you can mix them together, which is what I have. I have the whole thing, um, both cartographers joined together to make a full picture of this male elf and this female knight lady looking very quizzically at their maps while a dragon burns a city in the background. Love it. Um, but yeah, cartographer's heroes has more to it in a good way. I like the heroes; they're a great mechanic. They're really fun to, especially if you're playing multiplayer and people are drawing these horrible creatures on your board you can you can like smite them or shoot them with an arrow or burn them and it's great <laughs> good to know so uh, later i have to go to bookstore to pick up a manga so i guess i'll pick up a copy of cartographin you know the female cartographers <laughs> <laughs> well what, what's the male one um, male is cartograph female is cartographin uh -huh. Okay. That's yeah. That's a strange, strange one. They almost, um, almost cost them the sale with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I see. I see. But so that's cartographers, and that's the one I've played the most. Railroad Inc. I think is in second place, and then Fleet the Dice Game from the previous episodes actually my third most played. But the one I've owned longest outside of Yahtzee is Roll Through the Ages, which I haven't talked about because um, it's a weird one. And it's got wooden components, which is bizarre. But that's possibly for a future time because I'm sure there's going to be more roll and writes out. This is, this is one of the hot new areas for board games. So let's have our final thoughts on how we feel about them then about what your roll and rights what are your favorites what are your favorite what's an ideal roll and write well, for you? as i played just uh one my favorite uh isn't going to be very uh, uh relevant uh, <laughs> and so that's why i decided to go first um i i like honestly the the idea uh, especially when you mentioned that for some, which is not the case for uh, railroading, uh, that you can follow YouTube's uh, using the, the what the role when roles are common. 
Yeah, you can do that with Railroad Inc. That's like, yeah, but easy uh, to... um, or maybe I misunderstood when you described some others, but I felt that there was one big dice roll and everyone used it differently. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Welcome to has that kind of. Image. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that uh, the this is very interesting as uh, a mechanic or as a concept because you really have that effect of oh 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 you did this with the same resources and I did that and I think that would be for me a second type of foreign right but I could enjoy getting. Hmm. So probably uh, you'd want to look for a flippant right then. That that tends to have more of the variation. Okay, how about you, Kari? You've played more. What's what's your ideal roll and write? And does it include pirates or Robin Hood? <laughs> it can have you add something else as well. Um, I think generally roll and writes aren't really my type of game. Um, I mean, I did buy Railroad Inc. Uh, simply because I thought, okay, I don't have a roll and write, so buy those, then I have one. Um, and I don't like it very much, simply because I feel like, why do I need people to play it? Yeah. Um, true, true. The app is very self-contained. I'd never bother playing the app with anyone else. Yeah, and even even like if I have it physically here, if I want to play it, I can just play it and I don't need to have people over. And I don't think feel like it adds a lot to the game if I have people sitting next to me and playing the game as well. So um, that's something I don't really like. That's why I think for me a round right does need to have some kind of interaction. So for example cartographers with the monsters that other people draw into your map and um, or with crystal miners the shared board where you try to grab the orders before someone else gets them. Um, that's, make mm. it, that's what makes it interesting for me. And actually cartographers, it's just, it's interesting to look at the results in the end. Like with um, Railroad Inc, I, I mentioned earlier, the, the, what you draw doesn't really make much sense in the end. It's just, it's confusing and I don't know, but with cartographers, yeah, you have a map and that's fun. And it's interesting to see how others drew their maps. And so, yeah. I've, think from all we, we've covered, um, Cartographers is probably my favorite and um, closely followed by um, Crystal Miners. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can kind of break these down into ones where you draw some kind of structure and ones where you color in boxes and score points. And I land very much on the side of I like the ones where you draw a structure, um, like cartographers, I think is great. I Railroad Inc. I would like more if it was just easier to draw on them. It's really difficult. Um, and, and you end up with a very abstracted network. So uh, Trails of Tucan has that as well. It's got a very pretty map, but you're just drawing lines connecting up from one to another. And that's interesting to do as a game. It gets very crunchy and a lot to think about. But the end product is you've drawn lines on someone else's pretty artwork. So, yeah, yeah. So I think I think cartographers for the drawing is where I'm at, my favourite of that kind. For the fill-in with pips, 
I'm not sure if it's Fleet or Merchants of Magic that tops my kind of preferences. Um, I like the Merchants of Magic, that uh, constantly rotating queue of objects that's passing around like someone's coming into your shop and saying, I want this broadsword and it needs to be like this and you take forever to do it. So he goes to the next shop and he goes, I want this broadsword and it has to be like this. Um, and, and then eventually he comes back to your shop and you go, look, I've learned how to make your broadsword you want. So that that that's just enough interaction between players that I enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that would be my two favorites of the ones we've gone through. Um, but Railroad Inc. is so chill. Really chill to play, especially on the app. Just not too complicated and you can easily knock out a couple of games. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you can always make yourself a challenge, like uh, make your own uh, leaderboard and say, oh, this time I did this many points. And Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think, uh, to circle back to something Kara said, I think that uh, being able to combine two expansions together as a regular thing, like not just having that board being in the collector's edition, but having that available all round would suddenly really change stuff. Because it'd be really cool to draw a map with lakes and rivers, but you need a big that you need the bigger grid, or I don't know volcanoes and cacti, uh, eldritch horrors and skylines. So, I hope that Ho horrible guild um, put the collector's box out. We we will put Alessio uh, working on that. Yeah, we'll get him to ring them up every week. He's got time for that, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm sure he has. No, oh, we, we, no, we 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 will sign a, a petition paper, and he will bring it to the next Modena play. <laughs> yeah, petition, brilliant. I'll just. Write uh, we we French. We we. I mean, I'm French. Of course, I'm going to petition. Yes, petitions, petition everything. En grève, yeah. en grève. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, well, I think that's all the time we have for with Roland Rights. And hopefully somewhere we've mentioned one that's made you go, ooh, I'd quite like to try that. Um, and thank you for listening to The Last Standee. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee or follow us as The Last Standee on Twitter. Or you can go to Board Game Geek where The Last Standee is and you can click that fan button like 10 people have. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, there's a lot of steps to click that fan button, so I'm not surprised it's quite low. Uh, uh, or you can subscribe on your preferred podcast app, whichever one you prefer. So it's goodbye from Audrey. Bye bye. Kara. Auf Wiederhören. And myself. Bye. And remember that the second E in Standee is for engineering, because uh. it's one of the expansions in Railroading. <laughs>